Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides, a family-run charter fishing fleet based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, or you're an avid angler that travels the world and you're looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, the Mass Bay Guides crew will do anything it takes to make sure you, your friends, and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, visit the Mass Bay Guides website at massbayguides.com. And for the latest reports, content, and other info, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Mass Bay Guides. This episode is also brought to you by Deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you guys visit www.shopdeep.com, you can check out all the new apparel that they have coming out this spring. And if you use the promo code SEARSBRO, that's S-E-A-R-S, BRO20, you get 20% off your next order. We love these guys. Um, we've been friends with them for a while. Uh, what's cool about this company is, you know, some of the owners actually, they actually fish. They fish offshore. They fish the canyons. They giant tuna fish. They have a really, really good offshore program. So, you know, they're, they're making apparel and gear that, you know, truly does fit kind of the lifestyle and, and some of the requirements that we have in, in the offshore fishing world. On this episode of the podcast, Taylor and I sit down and basically do a brain dump of everything that we consider with drag on big game tackle, big game reels, and really focus it specifically towards giant bluefin tuna fishing. But you know, if you if you are a tuna fisherman, you're a bill fisherman, or or whatever else, you can definitely apply um, some of what we talk about to to your own fishery. And, um, and this is just the way we look at things and the way that we do things. It isn't the perfect way. It isn't, you know, the only way it's just, uh, another opinion and, and hopefully it, it helps some of the listeners out. If you're just getting into big game fishing or you're buying new tackle in this, in the off season and this spring. So our goal here was to kind of kind of give everyone an opportunity to start thinking about their gear, rigging up for the season. And uh, we're going to do a, a few more of these over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we already recorded one for about line capacity, which we'll be releasing in a few days as well. But we're just going to kind of keep chipping away at the the prep side of things as we move into the, the 2020 fishing season, hopefully sooner rather than later, once we start coming into the clear out of this coronavirus outbreak event which has been pretty pretty unpredictable and um and unbelievable actually so hope this boosts everyone's mood and and gets you in the in the zone and and thinking about getting ready for the season enjoy welcome to the seabros fishing podcast With everyone kind of stuck at home in the spring coming into a full swing here, I figured it would be a, a good idea to do a couple tackle focused and gear focused rigging station episodes. 
And we're going to start off by talking about, you want to talk about line capacity or drag? I think we should just talk about reels and drag first. And then we can do and line we capacity can talk about and another line capacity one? after. Okay. Because I think, I think drag's probably more important because, you know, it's, it's start like the base of the size reel, the, the yeah. components in a reel, how, you know, strong and tough the reel is over time. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. Because, you know, there's so many companies out there that sell reels that have 800,000 pounds of drag <laughs> yeah. that can stop, you know, an 18-wheeler. But at the end of the day, it might stop an 18-wheeler once. Yeah. And then, you know, the thing just blows up. Yeah, exactly. The second 18-wheeler. No, so. That's a good point. So, yeah. So, we're going to use this opportunity to do a quick podcast episode just focused on primarily big game drag, tuna fishing drag. You can really apply this to to anything but 50s 80s and 130s yeah 50 class stuff 80 class stuff 130 pound class stuff and a lot of like we were saying a lot of people are buying new things or trying to buy new things right now and getting ready for the season so maybe this will help you or or they have they have a bunch of gear and they're you know maybe changing the way that they fish maybe they're going from wreck to commercial or you know they they want to stay wreck but you know, they don't want to just completely kill a fish if they hook a larger fish. So they're trying to at least spool up so that they can have a safe release on a, on a larger fish. I think that's really important too, with the quota closures and, you know, still having a lot of uh, recreational guys out there fishing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So reels. So we, um, I mean, do we want to talk a little bit about on, Oh, shit, I forgot your coffee. Oh, my God. We need to pause this immediately. All right, we're back. Taylor has his coffee. (laughs) All right. So size reels and what we pay attention to and kind of our recommendations and our experience on a few different brands. We're going to keep it simple. Yeah, so 50s, 80s, and 130s. A lot of people kind of i feel like put drag capacity to the the back of their mind when they're looking at real sizes and classes to buy right what a lot of people don't understand is 50s and 80s essentially across the board you know there's some slight differences in brands and and new technology coming out but 50s and 80s basically have the same exact drag capacity yep you know, there's really not that much difference. So there's a couple unique models which we'll talk about, but yeah, for the most part, you know, over I would say the three or four major brands, um, you know, they're they're within five pounds. Yeah, five ten pounds drag whatever. pressure. Yeah, for max drag with you know full preset drag. Yep. Um. So, in in my opinion. You know, if you're going to stand up fish and like be more on the recreational side and stuff, you know, I would go, I would use 50s. Yeah. You know, 80s are just way. But the newer, newer 50s. Yeah, newer style 50s. Right. Um, I mean, we use the pen, the new pen VISX 50s. They're like open top. Um, So you can apply a little bit more hand pressure when you're fighting fish, but. I would go with 50s. I wouldn't really go with these. The only time I'd go with, I'd go, you know, if I had to pick or choose is if you're fighting out of the gunnel, right. you know, or you truly needed that line capacity. But, 
you know, we'll, we'll talk about line lines and line capacity a little bit more in a different episode, but with the new lines that are out there, you don't need much more than a 50 anymore or even less like, you know, Talica 25s and Shimano makes and, and stuff like that. I mean, the eight, the 80 size class, unless you're fishing out of the gunnel or, or the chair or something like that, there's really no reason to, to go that route in my opinion. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I guess it comes down to what does everybody have and what position are they in? Yeah. You know, um, there's a ton of rec guys getting into, uh, you know, commercial and thinking about changing over to commercial. Um, and you know, they, they ask us all the time, especially after the shows that we do, you know, how should I spool our, our fifties and eighties so that we can at least, I shouldn't even say spool. Um, are the fifties and eighties going to be able to handle, you know, a fish over, let's say 80 inches. Um, and that's obviously dependent on how good the guys are at boat handling and the angler and, you know, how, uh, how much experience they have versus the gear. But, you know, there's some gear now, like the new pens, uh, the new pen fifties that have virtually the same drag pressure as the, that you need, that you need to be able to handle these bigger fish, you know, 400 pound fish and bigger. Yeah. So, I mean, do you want to kind of go through just a couple brands? Yeah. So just a couple of, a couple of fun facts that people may know about, may not, but, um, you know, let's start with Shimano Tiagras, you know, really reliable reel. We used to use them until, um, we became partnered with, with Penn over the last couple of years, but, you know, they're good, they're good all, all around reel and, but a lot of times people get so caught up between, oh, I got 50s and 80s and specifically talking about the Tiagra line, Shimano Tiagra line of reels. They have the exact same so this, drag. The, literally the same thing. Exact the same drag. Yep. You know, so a lot of people don't realize that what's, it's like 44 pounds at max, 30, 35 pounds at strike. That's with a full preset. That's with a, yeah. Still having some free spool. Right. You know, not tightening the preset all the way. So if you drop the lever back, you can... You can still get free spool, but, um, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, they think they're getting a ton more drag out of an 80 and it's just, all it is is really is line capacity, yeah, which is important, which we'll go over in the next, uh, you know, rigging station episode, but, yeah. um, you know, it's not when it comes down to fight time and, you know, the size class of the fish yeah. for the, at least the second half of the fight, you know, the first run is one thing, but. Once you get through the first run, then you're just purely relying on uh, the angler, you know, the captain, and uh, what your rod and reel setup can handle. Yeah. You know? And, um, <laughs> I mean, I know some guys still fish 80s, you know, and stuff out of the gunnel, and they're fine. Like I said, like, yeah. if, if I were going to gunnel fish. But they're experienced for the yeah, most part. experienced, exactly. Yep. Um, and that's, and those, those stats that I gave, that's off the reel. That isn't with a rod included. So you right. do get, you know, more drag, obviously, once you pull a line through the guides and you put a bend in the rod and obviously depend on the, the rod angle too. But, um, a lot of people don't know that, you know, we've spooled people's reels and stuff in the past. They're helping people, you know, outfit boats or whatever. And, um, it's just a, a good fact to know. It really doesn't change too much. 
drag capacity on reels until you get to like 130 class. Right. You know, that's when you start getting into your max 100 pounds and that, not that you need that much drag at all. But it's, it's longevity. It's longevity. It's like, right. uh, you know, it's like running a diesel engine wide open for the small life that you're going to get out of the engine versus... Right. It can handle it. It can do it. Yeah. But not for a long time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's why we have cruising speed on in boats. Yeah. You know? So this, and the same, in my mind, goes for reels as well. Right. I'd rather not be maxing out the drag all the time and putting that much pressure on it. I I want something that's gonna that's gonna last. So and if if you do that, you know, a couple times a year, you're probably gonna be okay. But you know, if you get into a season that these fish are all over ninety five inches, and you have fifties and eighties older styles, I should say, with you know, max of forty five pounds at full full drag, there's a good chance you're gonna ha- start having issues if you get into start hooking, you know, over a dozen fish. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to be just, things start to break and deteriorate and you, you'll notice your drag, um, you know, will be smoked by the end of the season. Yeah. So yep. you'll start getting that uneven drag plate syndrome. Yeah. You know, that I'm sure everyone has seen uh, on older reels. Yeah. You just don't get that smooth initial run. It's erratic. Right. You don't want that. That's and then you're straight up and down and yeah. you're going from a straight rod to a doubled over rod. Yeah. You know, and that's frightening. Exactly. So just to, just to recap a little bit, um, you know, we just wanted to kind of paint a picture between, you know, 50s, 80s, and 130-pound class reels, um, specifically in regards to drag. Um, as we mentioned before, we use pen stuff. You know, if you if you are that, that sporty-type fisherman, you want to fish stand-up, you want to be versatile, you want to go to the canyons, but you also want to you know, stand up giant fish or you're releasing or whatever else. I know we already mentioned it, but those, those new fifties are sick. Yeah. I mean, you've gotten, we got thousand pounds, thousand pound. Yeah. Yeah. In under an hour. Yeah. And like no issues whatsoever. Right. Super smooth. But how drag. much drag are you putting on the fish? Well, that's a good question. Right. You know, at strike, we're scaling them out at, you know, 40 to 45 pounds. Right. With a rod. With a rod. You yeah. know. Um with but the rod bending with a big at what, a, like a forty five degree angle. Yeah, probably. with like a, a big heavy fish, you know, we're up to close to full drag at the end with hand pressure. So you're probably at between sixty and seventy pounds on the fish. But that's at the end. purely releasing, you know, not truly caring if you break off Pull at the hook or, or and you're also trying to get them to the boat fast. Trying to get them to the boat fast, right, so yeah. you can revive them and stuff. Yeah. But the fact that you can do that now with a 50-class reel and have the capacity to handle that first big run and a problem, you know? Right. A lot of people don't think about that either. It's like, and I know I'm going a, a, off a little bit here, talking about line capacity, but people are like, oh, I got five or 600 yards. That's plenty. Yeah. That's plenty. If he takes a straight run and doesn't run into anything. Right. You know, that's not like drag a back fleet or yeah. Untangling whatever. from something or whatever and no drag. It's like, you have to take that into consideration. Yeah. I mean, we, we had one this year that, I mean, we have, how much line we have on our one thirties, like 850 yeah. yards. Call it 800 ish. 800 yards. I'd say he took 750 <laughs> yards, Yeah. you know, and that was on the first run before we, even got you know 
got to the point that we could slow him down so we can start getting line back. Yeah. That was just one solid run. And yep. basically what happened was is the fish ate and went away from the boat on a really fast tide. And we chased them uh, and forward for like a mile and a half and actually caught up with the bow in the line. And he was 400 yards away from us, but the opposite direction at that point. Yeah. So we actually almost ran over the bow in the line. And we had to do another 180 and back down the opposite direction towards our anchor ball for another mile, however, mile and a half. Yeah, we we darted the fish a hundred yards from the ball. Yeah, you know, like, like right there. Yeah, um, just freaked out. Did one big circle. Right. So like distance wise, you know, you don't really know where the thing's swimming. The the pressure in the water um, takes it can take all your line. Yeah. You know. Yep. Um, um so yeah we know we went off a little bit there and got away from drag but just wanted to we're, we're not, use that example yeah we're not preaching anything really you know we're not we're not trying to say oh yeah you guys should all go out and get you know pen 50s and tangle with thousand pound fish it's like that's kind of the opposite of what we're saying we're saying to try to be as prepared as you can for the largest fish um, possible. possible yeah you know so depending on your experience level if you're just getting into it uh, and you're a wreck guy and you think in the future that you know you're you might end up doing commercial in a couple of years or the next year or whatever um just buy 130s and get used to using 130s exactly you know if if you're into it more of the sport and you're trying to get smaller fish and you're, and, or you're experienced or you're very you know what you're getting into right and you want to just like have fun and you not care you don't care about selling fish and uh you know you're just targeting the smaller fish maybe um then maybe you want to go with the the more impactful smaller reels yeah exactly. you know, it's impactful word because it should be if it's and that not. sounded good whatever right. you were trying to say sounded really good <laughs> but um i felt like trump there for a second <laughs> <laughs> that was a politician's answer right there impactful it's very very good <laughs> fantastic <laughs> um so yeah so I think that's kind of a good overview of real sizes. Like Taylor said, like we're not trying to preach anything in particular, just maybe right. maybe help someone make a decision. Um, and spend your money wisely because some people only can spend it once for 10 years. Exactly. You know? Yep. So think about the future. I don't think, you know, really about what you want to do that particular season. You also know. thinking about it as an investment too, like instead right. of buying, oh, I, I need a 30 in case I'm going to the canyons and then a 50, you can, I can run off my long rigger and then an 80, I can run on a, you know, I can use them as my giant tuna rod. If you just match stuff and buy the same real class, and as long as it's spooled appropriately and you know what you're getting into, you can use, you're it, re for you can use it for anything and your resale as a set is way better. Right. You know, than trying to... Right. I have five or six, yeah. you know, pen 50s. Exactly. Versus I have 130, you know, one TLD 30. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like a mixed bag. Exactly. So resale's big in, in the big game uh, gear. So like Brian made a good point of um, it's an investment. So like, think about in the future, for instance, like uh, if you're getting custom rods built, you know, um, a lot of guys go hardcore with like all these insane colors and all these things. That's fine. If, if you're not worried about the future of selling the thing, mm -hmm. but when it comes down to selling it in three to five years, you know, now you have to find a person that wants 
bright orange or bright yellow or or whatever it is. Or they want your name on the... Or they want, I mean, it's fixable, but... <laughs> a lot of it is, but some of it isn't. Yeah. You whether know? you want to spend the money or not. Exactly. So let's... Uh, we've talked about reels and gear. Um, when we talk about setting drag. So now we have we have the reels, right? We have whatever, 50s, 80s, 130s. What do we have on our boats? We have... So on our boats, we have some lighter stuff, some 16s and some 20s that we use for shark fishing. Right. But it's also the new pen stuff. So the drag capacity, you could handle You could handle a decent-sized tuna fish on those, right. and we have them spooled appropriately. So basically, we have those in case those 100-pound class smaller fish yeah. show up. But but even if you hook a 300-pounder, you exactly. stand a really good chance. Right. Um. You know, we have we have several 50 VISXs, which we mentioned, which have plenty of drag for big fish. And if we have clients that want to go that route, we can. Primarily, we're fishing 130s, though. You know, right. four 130s, we're fishing three rods typically at once, and a fourth rod is a backup if you get sharked out or, you know, catch a fish or release season or and whatever. We're trolling, we're fishing four to five yeah, rods. But we're also fishing every day. And like right. we said, a 130 using 40 to 65 pounds of drag fighting fish after fish you're going to get a lot of longevity out of that reel during the season than you are using 50s over and over and over again right you know um one 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 other thing too is and i know i talked about gunnel fishing what a lot of people don't realize is you know they're like oh i have short stroke bent butt 50s and i'll just fight out of the gunnel if i have to if you know, if I'd have an inexperienced angler, or I'm by myself or whatever, or I might harness up, I'll go back and forth. What a lot of people f- fail to realize is those smaller class reels have smaller components at the reel seat too. So there's a lot of torque back and forth on that reel fighting from the holder. So if you are fighting from the holder, that's why we keep saying 80 to 130. The components are a lot heavier duty. It's not going to loosen up and and cause problems over time, you know? Right. So that's another reason why, we, you know, charters that aren't used to handling the gear all the time with a 130, you know, they can put as much side-to-side motion into the reel as they want, and it's not going to no budge. Issues, right. Exactly. That is, a, I would say, a slight difference between 50s and 80s. Forgetting about drag pressure, if you look at the components, you know, if you're going to buy a lighter setup that you can still use in the rod holder, you know, 80s work for that. Exactly. You know? Yep. They're a little bit lighter, a little bit easier to move around, easier to store. Um, but again, you're going to run into that longevity of drag pressure. And, you know, 35 to 40 pounds is fine for 75 percent easily um most fish until you get that year class like last year's year class was 93 to 101 inches was like 90 percent of the bait fish being hooked up on the bank anyways so you know that class fish um you can do it with 80s but it's i don't think it's fun and you know you're just waiting for stuff to break yeah i agree um unless you really know what you're doing unless you really know what you're doing yeah so setting drags. So Taylor and I, before this episode, were talking back and forth about what some pe- some other people do. But the way we set our drags, and you can watch a million videos on YouTube about this, but basically two people, we have a drag scale. You ultimately want a 100-pound scale, not a 50. 
we have a 50. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, OG doesn't want to shell out the money for the 100 pounds. 100 pound scale is expensive. They are expensive. Yeah. But um, and we, we base- like those brass yeah. uh, 150 uh, pound scales. Yeah, exactly. There's a few, like I think Rapala and a couple other brands make, you know, the spring 50 pound scales. 50 pound and scales. And they work, but they're not going to last. Right. They rust very quickly. And then the spring breaks or yep. something breaks in them. But basically, you want to warm up your drag first. And the way we do that is one guy gets on the dock with the line, you know, tie an overhand knot with a decent sized loop so you have something to hold on to um, in your top shot or whatever your top shot is. And then the guy at the reel basically backs a drag off so it's at like 10 pounds, 15 pounds. The guy holding the line rips off, you know, anywhere from five to 20 feet of line. And the guy at the reel reels it back in. Just do it over and over again until you get the drag, you know, decently warm. Again, warm, warming the drag is really important because a static cold drag has a completely different um, setting as far as, far as pressure than a warm drag. Because, I mean, if you think about it, that fish eats, it might have a one drag pressure. And the minute he's already taken 50 yards of line, he's in a whole other drag category exactly. as far as... And it can vary a lot. I mean, we've seen it 20%. Yeah. You know? Um, usually it looks like a lot of drag at first until the drag's warmed up and then it's actually less drag. Exactly. So. And then it becomes more drag as right. as line reduces on the arbor of the spool. Yep. We'll talk about that in a minute. But So yeah, we warm up the reels at the dock or wherever on the way out if you have a big enough boat. One thing that we do do is we pretty much check our drags every time we change a top shot out most times um and when we do that we at least i do anyway i like to add just a little bit more top shot so that pressure the pressure abrasions that occur at the reel on the top shot from testing the drag you can cut those off later on you don't want those like down near where you're going to crimp your swivel on or where your weight's going to attach or, yeah. you know, whatever else. So give yourself a little bit of play, an extra 30 to 50 feet of top shot so you can cut that off after you check your drags. Um, you want to check your drags with the top shot on, not with your backing, because if you have less line on the spool, it's harder for that line to come off the spool and, and increases your drags. Then when you f- refill it again, you're, you're not going to be accurate. So test your drags with the line where it should be when you're actually fishing, backing and top shot. I think that's pretty much it. Well, we wanted to get into like... Uh, no, I mean for setting drags. For setting drags, it. yeah. Um, but now we can kind of talk about, you know, bite drags and everybody has different opinions on how, you know, how much pressure you want. Uh, what you want your drag setting at when it's sitting in the rod holder and you're picking your nose waiting for a bite, you know, and uh, I think we're probably the um, minority when it comes to like how much pressure we fish. At the bite. We're talking at the bite, at the bite right. not fighting fish. Exactly. And actually, before we, we set our drag so they're between 42 and 45, 46 pounds at the button. Right. The lever up, so up to the button. Right. Slide the lever all the way up till it stops at the button. Exactly. Not up and over. And that's for setting the drag. Now back to bite drag. Like Taylor And that's saying. on a 130. That's on a 130. Right. Exactly. So our 50s 
granted we have those newer 50s so our drag pressures can be higher yeah probably what five pounds less than that 40 40 pounds yeah so those those visx 50s are like you know any really sort of 50 class real the, the reason why i keep getting a little scattered on 50 classes because there's so much new stuff out there you know the talicas the visx pens like they all have a lot of drag now mm-hmm. and the spools are a little different it's not like you're shimano 50 wide that has the wider spool like you're having deeper narrower spools meant to you know basically self-level wine that really thin braid as you're fighting big fish so um so yeah so the the visx 50s i usually put like 38 to 40 pounds at strike and and the reason for that is the tolerances are also a little bit different on those spools it's a smaller it's a smaller drag mechanism than on a 130 so what i mean by tolerance is going from just above free spool up to strike is like two and a half inches yeah it's like it's yeah it's a very small Small, window like it increases super fast exactly it's kind of like it took a while for you almost it almost rips the rod out of the rod holder you have to be almost every time almost every time you have to like really really safety lines exactly get it dialed in but what's nice about what's nice about the pen specifically is you can you can tweak where you want the strike button to be you still can see where the normal strike is mm-hmm. on like actually engraved in the spool or on the side plate, but you can adjust that little preset, the nub or the button as we call it back down. So that's how I have it. I have it at like, I know you're going to talk about bite drag, but I have it. So my bite drag is like five to 10 pounds. And then I, on the first run or setting the hook with a circle hook, I dropped the button a little bit. So I can only really come up to like 20 pounds, like really fast. Mm-hmm. And then I have to actually push the button on the side of the lever go and you go want. up to where, it, you know, you're 35, you're 40 pounds right. where I set it at the true strike. Right. So, so bite, so back to bite drag. What, why don't you talk about I mean, we're, how we're, we're the fishing minority. circle hook. So it's, you know, the whole goal with the circle hook is to let the fish eat and either the line pressure or the fish's weight of swimming away is what actually, you know, sets the hook. So, um, you know, we're fishing a very light drag, probably I'd say the most would be 15 pounds. would be like the complete most that we would even recommend for a circle hook. Yeah. Um, you know, we're fishing usually between like five and eight pounds of drag probably. It all, and it also depends on what rod and the spread it what is. What rod and the spread it is. Um, you know, my belief is the further the rod away and you know you get all that extra line in the water you could probably have your drag a little bit higher than something that's closer to the boat that's more vertical that you're going to come tight on faster you know that fish that eats 100 yards away from the boat on a bait that's 50 to 75 feet down um, you can probably afford to have a a little bit more pressure uh, at the bite than you can on a down rod bite with a circle hook yeah you know because on a down bar down rod bite with a circle hook um you got to almost let the fish get away from the boat a little bit so you have the right angle of the line um you know so that line can get into the hinge and properly set the hook set the circle hook yeah these are a lot of tongue twisters right now (laughs) um so i don't know if that makes sense with drag pressure you know again we're probably five to eight pounds when it's sitting in the rod holder um you know, our, our, our down rod's probably only five pounds. I would say it's just higher than what it takes to break a number 32 elastic. Yeah. 
you know what a number 32 elastic is is what we're fishing for our shock cords um for all of our stuff whether it's longer or shorter that depends on the rod that and the spread and, and the bait spread but um <clears throat> it's probably a little bit higher than the tension it takes to break that elastic yeah or to pop the elastic depending on how you connect the elastic to the line yeah so uh, and the reason why we go a little bit higher is you know, you're, one, you're already at that pressure on the line, so why go any lower? And two, if you have it too low and the the elastic pops with all that pressure, now there's a chance that you're going to f- actually free spool your rod and uh, have a, you know, rat's nest pull a finger off syndrome. Yeah, that's a good point. You're basically trying to... Arb- gradually yeah. increase the pressure. Gradually increase the pressure once you get the bite. Right. And, um, and I think that's a good reference is like you want our bite drag is just above what it takes to snap a number 32 elastic. Right. And, and that and that differs depending on how many elastics you're using. Yeah. And those of you that don't giant tuna fish, we're talking about like a, a tether. So it's like an overhand knot to the top shot or the line on your fishing rod, um, you know, as it comes off the tip. And then that gets attached to whatever, the, the safety line clip, the reel handle, you know, there's a lot of different points that you can attach it to so when you're in like a rougher sea state or um you just want the signal that you have a bite yeah and you also want the shock absorption so your bait looks natural right and that band will either the knot will come undone or the band will snap and then you're off to the races right but um and then as far as you know setting the hook on the fish i'd say we go up to about a thumb and a half distance below strike on our 130s so mm -hmm. that's probably 30 35 pounds of pressure um i'd say probably close to 30 pounds of pressure on almost the whole first run yeah you know, not even all the way to strike. not even all the way to the strike because you know our our um thought process is you know you hook a say a 700 pound fish you could have 100 pounds of pressure on the fish at the bite or you could have 10 pounds of pressure on the fish at the bite he's still going to take x amount of yards of line you know, these fish are extremely strong, so um, it doesn't really matter how much pressure right off the bat. And the smaller fish are a different story. You know, the smaller class fish, you put 40 pounds of heat on them, 100 pounders coming in like five minutes. Yeah. So... Um, and you'll probably pull the hook you'll when probably you pull the swivel hook. with the rod. <laughs> right, because, you, you know, they're just horrible hook set and they're yeah. shaky and all that, but... Um, you know, again, we're going up to maybe 30 pounds for the whole first run. And uh, once we get them somewhat settled, you know, we start slowly increasing. And we probably don't go up to even strike until he's straight up and down. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if you want to get into like, you know, once he starts pinwheeling, what we do on our boat uh, is probably different than what a lot of guys do. I say we back up just a second and talk about what if you're using J hooks? Yeah. So bite drag J hooks, um, completely different. You know, you're trying, if you can, I'm talking about balloon baits and things like that with J hooks, you're trying to get the hook somewhat near the mouth to prevent, you know, all that chafing to occur. Um, we fish a kite differently. So that's, I mean, that's a whole nother subject, but we actually on the kite with us, with our J hooks, if we know it's a giant and we're going to be selling a giant that particular day, if we know it's a giant that eats the kite and we see it eat, we actually free spool, free spool and 
let him commit suicide. Yeah. Free spool, gut hooked the thing. Heavy leader. 300 pound leader, 400 pound leader, whatever, because it's all out of the water. And, uh, you know, heavy drag, 40 pounds just hurt him. And yeah. they come in quick. They do. You know, sometimes rigor mortis. <laughs> sometimes rigor mortis. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, but yeah, so J hook drag, I'd say we're, we're more up into that 30 pounds. So what we have on our first run for a circle hook, you know, at that 30 pound range, we're probably sitting at that 30 pound range when it's just sitting in the rod holder waiting for a bite. So when the fish eats, just the pressure of the fish eating sets the hook and you know, you're already fighting them. And we, again, we don't really go up heavy on the drag until he's straight up and down. And I mean, heavy just, you know, up to strike. Yeah. You know, we don't really go higher than that unless... Unless we have to. Yeah, unless gorilla panic. Unless <laughs> gorilla panic ensues. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think that's that's a good good explanation of the differences. We fish 99.9% of the time circle hooks. I just right. think you catch... We personally have had better luck with circle hooks. Fish a little bit lighter leader, get more bites. You have better better hookups, better hook placement in the fish's mouth. Not saying there's a lot of guys that fish J hooks and, and smoke them too, but it's all what, also what you're comfortable with, right? you know, and, and how dialed in you are. Everyone has their own little tweaks and specific systems. So whatever, whatever you're comfortable with, but we like circle hooks. Now let's talk about fighting fish drag. Yep. So initial run, we kind of already talked about, you know, where depending on what rod in the spread gets the bite, um dictates what the bite drag is so right. down rod eight to 12 pounds middle floater 10 to 15 pounds far floater 10 to 20 pounds right that's what i would say yeah. you know obviously it's that's different for every fishery and species but specifically giant tuna that's basically what we're doing I mean, we were doing a lot of i don't even know if you want to call it testing but when we were trying to target the small fish in the fall when the quota was closed, not even the fall, middle of the summer, we were trying to target the small fish, you know, and there was just a lot of big fish around. And I would say we were quote unquote practicing seeing different drag pressures on the bite the with bite. circle hooks. And yeah. there's no doubt that the lighter drag to a slow increase is the best way, but we did have some fun just going to town as soon as the thing bit once, once and you get lucky and it goes right in the hinge. And once you're catching, once you are fortunate enough to catch a few fish right. and you're at the rod for the bite, you can tell whether he's swimming away from you or whether right. he's coming at you. Yeah. So if you know he's, he ate it and he's away, like load it right load up, it right get up. that hook smashed right through the bone in the, in the right. latch of his mouth and, and off to the races you go. But yep. if he eats and comes at the boat and he's up in the anchor, you might only be at five pounds of drag for the first 10 minutes if you're in a cluster, right. which we'll talk about. And that's what's really nice about using a circle hook. Yeah. You know, if he eats and immediately goes onto the boat, you feel confident that you can keep a light drag pressure for a while. Because it takes 180 degrees to get that hook out right. of his mouth. If it's if it's set appropriately or properly, you know. Right. So initial run we talked about, you know, that's our bite drag. Initial run, 20 to 30 pounds, somewhere in that range. Uh, fight drag. Once that first run's made and the fish and if the fish isn't super erratic and staying on the surface, staying like, on the surface and doing the uncatchable stuff, you know, uncatchable is a, 
a fish that you, you know you're fighting it and by like hour an hour and a half in you're going this fish is uncatchable yeah you know he's still on the surface he's still doing erratic pre- weird shit you know you're gonna lose him somehow yeah or he's you're gonna get extremely lucky and right exactly but um but yeah f- so past the initial run things are settled in now we're up to 40 45 pounds on a 130 you know and this is kind of like backing down or chasing him down forward and the fish is swimming you know pretty much straight at this point right so that's where our drag setting is there as far as once the fish really gets settled and gets tired and gets in his pinwheels and settled to us is not other than maybe changing direction of his pinwheels He's down, not coming up and down all the time, like settled. Like Yeah, he's deep. He's deep. And we can tell yeah. that he's doing some type of a circle on his side. We don't really add anything until, until like there's a true stalemate on the lost side of the pinwheel. So the, right. if this goes for any tuna. I don't care what it is, a black fin, yellow fin, you know, whatever. When they're in pinwheels and, and you cannot, your loss to your gain on each pinwheel is equal or you're losing you know slowly that's when we start to add hand pressure no lever drag pressure whatsoever we just start to add a little bit of hand pressure to the reel on those lost sides of the turn so you're you're waiting for him to get his head down there's steady pressure on the reel so there's you know the line is coming towards his tail yeah towards his tail or, closer, or at that the, angle at you're, least. you're driving the hook right. you're not pulling on right. pulling you're never doing this when he's swimming at you in any way exactly right. only when is you can tell his head's away and you're driving the tip of the hook into the fish's mouth you're not pulling against the barb so that's when you add hand pressure and you you know it's the same for every tuna fish. You know, we right. do the same thing with Jason and them down in Florida. Spinning you know, rods spinning rods, it doesn't matter. Yep. That's when you add your hand pressure. If hand pressure, once you figure out what that hand pressure is and you start getting the fish up, then like I do that for a couple pinwheels, like get them. So I'm like, all right, like I know this is probably like a pound, a couple pounds of drag that I'm adding and it's getting us somewhere. Yeah. Then on the next time that he's taking line on the lost turn on the pinwheel, I'll slowly add a little bit until of until you're even with their hand pressure, until even with if, the hand if, pressure. If you know, you know, if you had a good idea what your drag system actually is, you exactly. Know? It's probably a little harder on smaller reels because, you know, a, a little bit goes a long way compared to like a 130 with a larger distance of larger you know, tolerance larger tolerance yeah. um so like on our 130s we're probably going you know, like brian said a pound to five pounds of hand pressure on two to at least two circles minimum yeah um sometimes we go six to ten circles kind of just letting him do his thing uh, and sometimes that hand pressure is all you need because what it allows the hand pressure is is, is awesome because it allows you if he does a head shake, if he decides, you know what, I'm just going to take another 20-yard run, or if it's rough and you're, you're about to go up a really big wave, it allows you to just let go of your hand instead of having to deal with releasing drag pressure on the reel. Yeah. It's a quick way to just reduce pressure, and five pounds can make a huge difference at that point in the fight. You know, especially with chafing, pulling the hook, or landing the fish. And talking about releasing the lever... 
Right. If you're not fishing like a high quality big game reel, like the ones that we've mentioned, and you're going to lose a finger. (laughs) Yeah. There's so much pressure on that drag. There's so much heat and friction created. Even if you back it off sometimes, like an inch, inch and a half. It's like it, it can almost rat's explodes nest. on you. It right? almost can explode sometimes. Especially on older, yeah, worn in reels. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you're not fishing, you know, well maintained or newer gear or whatever. Yep. But yeah, so that's how we kind of add. That's kind of how we add an, uh, hand pressure. Um, and then again, we probably go up. I'd say on our one thirties, an eighth of an inch every, you know, ten circles, and we only go up after we put hand pressure. So we go. You know, the fish is stalemate and we haven't moved them in 20 minutes, half hour. And and I'd say we, we really don't even go above strike until we're over the hour mark. And then, you know, we'll put some hand pressure on. He'll do maybe six circles. Then we bump it an eighth of an inch, let him do six circles. Then we put hand pressure on for six circles. You know, and we go back and forth with that hand pressure, drag bump, hand pressure, drag bump. And all of a sudden, you know, you'll find a sweet spot. Either the fish will get tired or you just have that lifting power and um, the thing will be staring at you for, for a harpoon shot. Yep. The The only other time where I might add hand pressure or, or pinch the line like a little bit between the reel and the first guide is if like you know you're going to get an early dart shot or something or like you're doubled up. And right. the fish makes a move and you can see the line angle. Yeah. So like if the fish does like, you know, he's doing deep pinwheels, then all of a sudden he comes up to the surface and he's head like away from you, like a couple feet below the surface. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can see the line going into his mouth. And, and you, you know, and you know that, that if is. I, if I hammer on him right now and turn his head up on the surface and kind of almost get him to surf at me. Like as you're slowly backing down or whatever right. else, once you turn his head, you you hammer on him. Like keep that pressure hard, hard, hard. And you're talking on about him. like keeping a- his keeping his head up, so he's like coming right at you. You can get that dart shot if he starts to, you know, pinwheel again and mm-hmm. come back down at the boat. That's when you. You kind of get a feel for it. You know right. when you you let go of that pinch and then you get ready to swing the rod and. You're either gonna pull the hook or you're gonna the, right. the line's gonna come off at that point. But if you know you're gonna get an early dart shot or something like that, I'm it's again really circumstantial. I might hammer on him with an extra ten pounds of drag with my hand to keep his head up. And again, that's there's there's an early dart shot and then there's a late dart shot. I really don't think there's like that middle dart shot. Yeah, like if you fight the fish for an hour and a half and he comes back up on the surface green and crazy as hell probably wouldn't hammer on him in that case because you just fought him for an hour and a half and you got all that chafing of the line exactly. you're probably going to break him off but you know several fish last year with the rear station we get that 105 plus inch fish up on the surface surfing away from you and you're backing down as hard as you can you know we killed a couple fish in like a half hour because that should have been a two-hour fight because we could back down on them and whaled them with the drag with the drag as he's swimming away from us so we can try to get that quick harpoon shot in him and it slows him way the hell down once it, this it harpoon takes experience though and it takes like if you if you fuck that up you have right. to, you have you to immediate or breaking Im- yeah you, right you have to do some crazy drag dropping stuff to make sure you're not going to break right. him off or pull and him you gotta throw the harpoon right you yeah know? you exactly. don't want to throw it over the line over yep. his back you know you're kind of making that like 
You're really not going for the perfect behind the gill plate harpoon shot. No, you're just trying to hit him. You're just trying to hit, him hit the freaking thing. Yeah. And try to get the dart in a place that you're not going to pull it if you end up breaking them off on the rod later. Exactly. Um, and honestly, one of the best spots is like the last third of the fish for that. Like because right in that that top tendons. There's tendons in there. Oh, yeah. You know, the dart gets stuck like perfect. It's really not in a bad meat spot where you're going to destroy meat. And it slows him way. It's like tail wrapping him because now he's swimming around with a harpoon attached to his tail. Yeah. So, um, and again, that's like the first 10 minutes. Once you get beyond that, you start kind of babying him and doing the whole drag pressure bump thing. But, um, you know, we don't really wail on the fish unless he's really lethargic at the very end and you know where the hook is and you're fishing a heavier leader maybe and, you and he's staying consistent staying consistent and you can kind of just maybe turn his head for that last uh you know effort basically so you can throw the harpoon at him yeah um and we have the luxury of having a station on the on the back of the boat so we're able to really see you know the guy driving is able to see the head of the fish which way he's going so you know a lot of times you get that pinwheel coming up um, you can just wail on him with pressure back right up on him. And as his head's coming to the surface, you know, he already has a harpoon in him. Exactly. So that's initial run. That's fight. Let's talk about problems. <sighs> I actually love problems. They make, they make it all exciting. <laughs> so one problem that happens all the time is these fish feed into the tide. Majority, especially the big ones, especially the big ones, especially heavy, especially heavy tide times most of the time i said time a lot but you did but they rough, feed, rough weather yeah rough, rough weather. weather fast tide yep. and big fish so especially a down rod bite the bite happens and then they're swinging their way up forward on the boat up into the anchor or up against the hull or whatever else and it's no real it's no real secret just back the drag off slowly slowly exactly um perfect scenario if that happens to us say the down rod tether goes off line starts coming off the reel at 10 pounds and you see the rod starting to swing towards one side hammer them hammer them with like 20 to 30 pounds to get the rod loaded to get the hook set and then come back very gently on the drag and take the rod out of the rod holder and dip it to and the get, corner and dip it to the corner dip it in the water you know, just like you do fighting a striped bass with a spinning rod and right. he's going under the boat, you're dipping the rod tip exactly the same way. Then you can back the drag off and start to get a sense of which side of the anchor he's going on, right. you know, and then, you know, release and throw the, the painter off the right side if you're lucky or whatever. But really it's, it's simple back, back the drag off. Yep. Um, one, one thing kind of sidebar, but one thing we do, um, that's really, really important that it, you know, watching a lot of other people's videos and other guys fish, they jump the gun when they get off the anchor. So if a fish eats and goes under the boat and say you got, you know, you got the hook set, good drag pressure out off the bat, and then you have to loosen it up and he's going next to the, you know, next to the anchor or tangling the anchor, the loose drag allows that fish to go either beyond the anchor or pick a direction and keep swimming. You don't really want to hammer him because... Even if even if he's close to the anchor, but he know you know he's not in it, you don't want to just hammer him because that could change the swimming pattern, 
And now he's swimming into the anchor where you don't really want him to go. You kind of want him to just choose a direction, go straight, and don't even get off the anchor until you are 100% sure which side he's on. So if that means keeping it 5 to 10 pounds of pressure for until half your spool's gone before you get off the anchor, it's probably worth doing that so that when you do choose your side, you know, you're off to the races once you choose your side. If you choose the wrong side, at least you can just untangle and you know that fish is 300 yards There's away from your There's already water pressure on that anchor. line. It's right. and, and pressure on the anchor. It's holding the hook in the right. fish's mouth. It's almost worse to just try to get off the anchor quick, slack up your anchor line, and put pressure on the fish and then try to figure it out. That's when you get tangled in your ball and break them off. Yeah. You know? We're um, not going to go into it today, but the fact that we have... That's the the shit that we've done up in Canada with anchors yeah. and nets and stuff. You would anyone who hasn't experienced that or hasn't tuna fished a long time or been caught in the anchor and all that stuff a long time. You can do some cri- line does amazing things. Amazing things if you if you are a step ahead of the game. Right. You can do some crazy stuff. That hook will stay in way more way more times. Especially than with not. circle hooks. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing we do on our boats that's really important is uh you know it's very very rare that we're not within five feet of the rods you know if if you're going to be sitting inside and hanging out with your buddy which is fine i mean everybody fishes different um i would fish j hooks with 30 pounds of pressure rod goes off at least now the hook's set and you, you know you might be slow getting to the rod if you're very attention to detail and you're standing right there and you're constantly, you know, adjusting your baits depending on the tide, you know, kind of hot, we're very attention to detail with our, our, uh, how we fish. Um, you know, you could fish circle hooks and you can know which way the fish is eating by just how the balloon goes underwater sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that those little things allow you to make the adjustment of how much pressure you're putting on the fish. Um, and not to put too much pressure on the fish. If he's taking line, so many people's instincts is to increase the drag. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, you need to decrease the drag. You know, once you get 50% of your spools gone, you need to start thinking about, all right, am I going to be able to chase him fast enough to get this line back? Or do I need to now loosen my drag um, to prevent something from breaking down near the hook? Because, you know, once you start getting past that 50%, you start doubling your pressure, you know, and now you're at 40 pounds, you're at 80 pounds of drag, and mm-hmm. say you're fishing 130 fluoro, like a little bit of chafe, you're going to break them off. Yeah. Uh, or your crotch break, like a lot of crotch breaks are from just 40 pounds of drag on the first run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might not, you're probably not going to crotch break until the rod's loaded up and he's 70 feet deep on a pinwheel. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Cause you just stress the shit out of your gear. Exactly. You know, exactly. So I know we just talked about a lot. Yeah. But I think it's really good info. You know, I think it's really dissecting drag and I know we're applying it specifically to giant tuna fishing and, and bait fishing for giant bluefins and tuna in general, but you can apply it to anything. Any hard pulling you know? fish that requires a lot of drag. And billfish are a whole different animal. You know, there's lots of different ways that you can fight billfish. You know, there's guys that say heavy drag and there's guys that say light drag. We're not going to get into it, but tuna fish, for the most part, you need pressure to subdue the fish. Exactly. You know, that's the only way you're going to get them. Yep. Um, I mean, we had one last year. It was 
full drag after an hour and a half in like heavy seas we're six to eights all the way up some pluses in there yeah all the way up to full drag with probably another 10 pounds like as hard as we could hold the spool and we fought him for another hour in pinwheels before we got a dart shot on him yep so like you know depending on the fish they all fight different yep so well i think i think that's pretty much it if anyone has any questions on on big game you know or tuna fishing drag or whatever else feel free to shoot us a, a dm on on instagram seabros fishing or at mbg taylor mbg brian and be more than happy to to learn something from you or you know we can pick each other's brains and this is just how we fish you know yeah. this is we're not saying you got to do this you know yeah um we're just talking about you know we how we fish day in day out yeah so thanks everybody thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the seabros fishing podcast I'd like to thank our sponsors, Mass Bay Guides and Deep, for providing support for this episode. Uh, we also wanted to thank all the attendees that went to the February 29th Seabros Fishing Social Night. We had a great time, uh, a lot of great feedback um, at the show, after the show, on social media. We're definitely going to try to do a few more of those next year, kind of small scale social nights with a, um, with a workshop incorporated into it. If you haven't already, if you could please go on Apple podcasts and, and search for the Seabros fishing podcast and, and give us a five-star rating so we can, we can keep getting exposure to more fishermen, specifically offshore fisher, fishermen around the world. Um, we'd greatly appreciate that. Um, we appreciate all the feedback that we've got on on all our previous podcast episodes, and we're going to try to keep as much content coming out to you as possible. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Seabros Fishing, and we're going to put some more details about these episodes, pictures, all that good stuff. And uh, you can also follow our our charter fishing account at Mass Bay Guides. That's it for today. Appreciate you listening. Everyone stay tight.